Welcome to the Thrive Vineyard Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Molly Kiefer. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit thrivevineyard.com. All right, so um, my I grew up in, I would think, a really very typical suburban home. There were three of us girls, um, two parents, and my parents were interesting because they were very frugal on one hand, but they were also very generous on the other. They had this frugal generosity. And um, I remember growing up, my parents did, it was before Dave Ramsey, but it was the same concept where he had an envelope system that they would keep in their dresser. And at the beginning of the month, they would fill up every little slot of this like big envelope. And we'd have money for entertainment, money for groceries, money for gas. It was all cash. And, um, and I remember when the money was gone from like, you know, entertainment or our movie fund, that was it. There was no more money. And you had to wait until the beginning of next month to go see a movie for crying out loud. Um, and my mom, I remember specifically, um, they were just, they were careful. They talked about money. They talked about being like saving and like getting deals. My mom loved a deal. In fact, she would, I remember so specifically, she would drive to the next town over to go through the drive-thru to get her McDonald's iced tea because she saved like two cents. Like, I was like, you're spending more in gas, you know? No, but it was the principle, right? Or she, the better deal for the dry cleaner is three towns away. So she was like careful with money. I had this concept of being careful with money, but they were also really good gift givers. And as good gift givers, Christmas was like, they were very, very generous at Christmas. They were kind of over the top. It was like a day of extravagance as a kid. And um, uh, we, as a family, we were Christmas morning gift openers. How many people are traditionally Christmas morning gift openers? Okay, and some of you Christmas Eve? Christmas, do we have a couple in the house? Like, oh, yeah, Christmas, okay. But we were, we were Christmas morning gift openers. And as a, as a little girl who lived in a frugal home and liked stuff, Christmas morning was a really, really big deal in my house. And so... Christmas Eve was like the longest night of the year. It was painfully long. And, um, we were the, we were the family who mom and dad, we, they were like, don't get out of bed before 8 a.m. And then they made us stay upstairs while they were downstairs for like, for like three hours making coffee and like turning on the, the music. And I'm like, we're all like, hurry up, you know, upstairs. I think they loved it. They loved every minute of that. But, Christmas Eve was the longest night. And so we always tried to figure out how do we make this night go any faster? Like, what do we do? Because there's no sleeping, no sleeping whatsoever. And so the three girls, there were three of us, we would pile up every board game in the house into one bedroom. And we would pass the time playing Hungry Hungry Hippos. Best game ever. Be- hands down. Best Hungry Hungry Hippos. Um, or like a half a game of Monopoly. Did anyone ever make it through a whole game? Of, never. Never. Connect Four. You know, we had the Battleship. You know, all those games. And we would just play game after Because we were just like, oh, how do we make this go any faster? Because that night was so, so long. And here's what I'm wondering. How do you past time when you're waiting for something? How do you make the time go any faster? And I want to look at a story today in this glorious season of Advent, which is preparation and waiting. Like that's the theme of this season. I want to look at how another man waits. And so we're going to pick up 
Simeon, Simeon's story in Luke 2. And um, I'm going to have this scripture on the screen. I'm going to read it here, but look at how he waits. Okay, here we go. Here's how the story goes. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him, according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. That's so beautiful. Thank you. (laughs) So the theme to me, I read this story and the theme of the story to me is the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is kind of crazy to me because the Holy Spirit, he's mentioned three times in a row, three verses back to back in a really short story, three times he's mentioned in this place. And what I think is so interesting is that this, this encounter with the Holy Spirit, this is happening before the outpouring of God's spirit at Pentecost. Remember how um, that prophecy of Joel, like I'll pour my spirit on all flesh, how that came in that upper room moment um, that we're going to celebrate down the road when the weather's starting to get warmer and the days are longer. Well, this was before that happened. And so up to this point, we have all the Old Testament. And the only time we really saw the Holy Spirit on people was when the Holy Spirit was poured out on a certain purpose person for a specific task. So for example, um, the Holy Spirit would be poured out on like the judges, these people who would try to help um, Israel overcome their enemies. So like, think about Gideon, how the Holy Spirit was on him for this great victory or Samson, his spirit comes and he's strong and he like takes care of all the enemies or Moses, or the Holy Spirit would be poured out on a prophet who would speak on God's behalf. And he would remind Israel, you're going the wrong way. You need to come back. If you go that way, there's going to be these awful things that are going to happen. And God has called you to this over here. Come back, come back to God, right? Come back to that love for God. So, um, so the Holy Spirit would come on these prophets or the, the Holy Spirit would come on a king to rule on God's behalf. Remember Saul, that first time that Saul becomes king, the Holy Spirit comes on him and he's changed into a different man in a moment. And then the spirit departs from him and and lands on David, fills David, who's now um, doing this job for God on God's behalf, right? So this is the history up to this point. The Holy Spirit is just poured on one person for this great job, right? But here in this story, here is Simeon, And the Holy Spirit's coming on him. And I'm like, why? Like, what great task is he doing, right? In this moment in history, like, there's no enemy army. He's not trying to get Israel to come back and follow God. He's not a king. He's just an old man, right? Like, where's the impossibility in this story? So I want to kind of dig into what exactly is he doing? Well, here we see what he's doing is he's waiting, He's waiting for the arrival of God's promised Messiah, the rescuer, the deliverer. And um, that's what it says in Luke in 2.25. He's just waiting. He's waiting for the consolation of Israel. So he's waiting for this promise that God has given to Israel, to this nation, to the earth, really, um, about a coming Messiah. And this promise actually started all the way back 
in Genesis, in the very, very almost beginning of the story where um, God promised to Abraham, listen, I'm going to take you and I'm going to make you into this amazing nation, Israel, and you will be my people. And then through you, I'm actually going to bless all the people of the earth through your family line. Like that started back in Genesis. So that was the first of these promises. And then we have approximately 2,000 years. So we have a 1,000 years from Abraham to David, right? And then we have another 1,000 years from David to Jesus. So for 2,000 years, when those promises started, we had prophet after prophet who would talk about this coming deliverer, this coming king and this coming kingdom. And all through the Old Testament, like all those small books, they're all filled with these like these little glimpses of what's coming. For example... Daniel, Daniel talks about this kingdom, this king who's bringing a kingdom and it's going to be an everlasting kingdom and he's going to have all authority, all glory, all power, right? Or, um, or Zechariah, he talks about Jesus coming as a king and that he's going to come with righteousness and justice. He's going to come with victory. Or Jeremiah says, hey, listen, Israel, you have this old way of relating to God. Well, guess what? A whole new covenant is coming. God's going to come and he's going to make a whole new way of relating to him, of being with him of being connected to him. Or Isaiah gives us even more specifics about, listen, when this king comes, there's going to be some crazy things on the earth. Signs and wonders. uh, Blind eyes are open. The lame are going to walk. The deaf will hear again. And so we have all these, these should be really familiar, right? All these little glimpses of what's coming along the way over these these 2,000 years. And then we hit the last of the Old Testament prophets. It's the very last book in the Old Testament. Do you know what it is? Malachi, it's the, if you turn to your Old Testament, it's the last prophet. And in that very last chapter, the last verse of the last chapter of the Old Testament, he closes out that era with one last word of what's coming. And he says this, Malachi says this, and this is about Jesus. He said, I will send you the prophet Elijah. And he's really talking about Jesus before that great and dreadful, dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. And at that moment, the book closes. And for 400 years, everything is silent. There's no more prophetic promise. There's no more glimmer of hope. There's no more uh, uh, signs, wonders, nothing. It goes into radio silence for 400 years. 400 years. Now, this is a long time to wait. Think about Abraham back in Genesis, right? Up until this point. And, and even just that 400 years of nothing, it's a long time to wait in the unknown. So you guys, um, probably some of you have heard this story that I met Kevin in grad school. And um, we met in the first semester, that fall semester of grad school. And um, he actually met my twin sister first, confused us at church, and then figured out, oh, no, it's me. So we, we started hanging out in class. We had this class together. And um, started really kind of like getting to know each other towards the end of that semester. And in one of our last classes in December, in this grad class, I discovered that he was going to come visit his grandma, who lives 10 minutes away from me in my hometown. So Kevin lived in Mittenland, somewhere in Mittenland in Michigan. And he was coming from Mittenland to 10 minutes away from where I lived in Libertyville. And I was like, this is crazy. You're coming to visit your grandma. You're going to be here for Christmas. And so I took his notebook and I wrote my home number on like 10 pages of his little notebook. There was nothing else in that notebook. It was just, he did no notes. It was all my, I just put on every page here. You're going to, you need to find my number. Here's my number. 
And we made this plan that he was going to call me. I didn't have his number. He was going to call me sometime over this break and we would get together. Cause at this point we were kind of like, like, you know, trying to figure this out. Do we like each other? I think I like you. I don't know where I stand. And, um, so I go home for break and he goes to Mittenland and December 22nd comes and goes. And I'm like, okay, all right. You maybe takes a travel day. I don't know his exact plans. Right. And I am thinking tomorrow, tomorrow he'll call. December 23 comes and goes. And then I'm starting to go, hmm, we're getting, it's Christmas Eve. Like, I don't know, maybe he'll invite me to church. Just kidding. Okay, so it's the 24th. And I'm like, my whole family knows I'm waiting for this call. I'm waiting. I'm like, my mom's like, when's he gonna call? You know, I'm like, I don't know. So 24th comes and goes. And then the 25th, I'm like, not expecting a call. And then it's the 26th, comes and goes. And now I'm like, what the? You know, like what's going on? What's going on? And then the 27th. And then it's like this, he's not going to call. Like he doesn't like me. And then you start filling in the gap, right? You're running all the scenarios through his head. Maybe they didn't come. Maybe he's sick. Maybe he didn't bring his notebook with the number all over it. You know, like change of plans. Like every, I'm going through every scenario. And the crazy thing, this was 25 years ago, but I remember it so clearly that feeling of like, when is he going to call? Like, this is taking forever. Like in the unknowns and the expectancy, right? Happy ending. He actually calls, but he's back in Mittenland when he calls. And so we're not, but he called and he invited, he said, let's go out the very first night we get back to school. Everything was okay. Everything was okay. But that, that uncertainty, right? It's brutal. Waiting is brutal because there is nothing you can do. And in the unknown, it just feels so long. And this is where we find Simeon after all those years of darkness and silence. Simeon gets the call. He gets the call, right? The dawn is coming. Morning is coming. And this is what it says. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. It's finally coming. What Simeon has been waiting for, what all of Israel has been longing for, it's now coming. They're waiting for that word to become flesh, the promise to finally, you know, to see it with their own eyes. They're waiting for the dawn of the morning, right? And this is the backdrop. This is the backdrop. This is the context for this Holy Spirit, all this Holy Spirit activity that we just read about in Luke 2. So back to this question. Why is the Holy Spirit so front and center in this story? Why? Because we get the Holy Spirit on like God's heroes for extraordinary power, right? We get that. We get it to get a whole nation back on course to be God followers. We get it to overcome enemies. But why? Why is the Holy Spirit here? Again, I'm just an old man sitting and waiting in the temple. Because I think it's easy for us, you guys, to focus in our own lives. It's easy for us to focus on the Holy Spirit as like a power source to do impossible things. We've got to pray. We got to pray for someone. We need breakthrough, right? We, um, we, we want to be able to share Jesus with somebody. We need the Holy Spirit for that. But this story, this story brings another side to the ability of the Holy Spirit that God knew we too would need in our day. The Holy Spirit was on Simeon, who was waiting. He was waiting. He was living out the daily grind of waiting without a specific date in mind, right? He was waiting, waking up every morning, wondering, 
is today the day? Is today the day that I will finally have the answer to the longing? Is today the day that God will finally fulfill the promise that he gave me? Is today the day? And he is just staying true to the word of God again and again and again in the day-to-day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, right? He's just showing up again to a faithful, to the call that God gave him again and again and again without fresh breadcrumbs on the trail, right? Without a renewal. Like, I don't think God said it over and over and over again. I think it was a one-time thing without any evidence that this thing is getting any closer. So how was he able to endure How was he able to get up the next day and be willing to go to the temple again if God called him that day to go? How did he not lose vision, enthusiasm, faith? How did he not lose hope in the waiting? How This is what I think about. How did he not start crafting in his mind a better way to the promise that God had said? And I don't know how many days he went to that temple where he got up again and he went to that temple and he showed up and he, he had to watch babies pass by to their dedication, right? And there goes another one. Nope. There goes another one. Not today. There goes another one. How many like false sightings? How many other kids did he have to watch go in their father's arms to their dedication? And I wonder how many times did his heart kind of race? Like, is this it? Is this it? And then dashed again and again and again. And I wonder how did he not get reason, reason, like start reasoning or get logical about the whole thing. How did he not start reasoning within himself? Like maybe I misheard God, right? Maybe I missed it. Maybe he's come and gone and I got to go find him somewhere else. How did he not start going, you know what? Maybe in my old age, I'll find something else to do besides wait in the temple, maybe mentoring. Maybe I can use my gifts somewhere else. Or maybe Monday, Wednesday, Friday, those will be my temple days, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, you know, Walmart's hiring greeters, right? Right? I mean, I am so glad that I was not Simeon's pastor. Seriously, I'm glad he didn't phone a friend because I probably would have been like, yeah, sounds reasonable. Find something else to do, like, right? Like, I think I would have been like, wow, that's a long time. I don't know. That's, that's terrible. Let's find something else. How, how did he endure? The Holy Spirit was on him. The Holy Spirit was on him to stay faithful. The Holy Spirit was on him to be willing to go again and again, day after day. The Holy Spirit was on him so that he didn't have to rely on reason. The Holy Spirit was on him to keep his desires as God's desires. His whole, the Holy Spirit was on him to not change the story, change the way, change the time frame. The Holy Spirit was on him and he waited patiently. And here's what I really believe in this Advent season, church. I believe that God wants to pour his spirit out on you too because you too are waiting. We too are waiting. Our lives on this earth, they are marked by unfulfilled. They are marked by unfinished business. They are marked by the not yet, aren't they? And there are many sides to waiting. Like for instance, we're all part of this big corporate waiting. All of us are a part of what we read about in Romans 8 where all of creation is waiting. Look at this. You're going to see over and over again this theme of waiting. This is what Paul writes. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Oh, we just want that glory. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. And he goes on in verse 22. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth. And if you've been in the pains of childbirth, you know you want it over as fast as possible. And that is what we are doing on this earth, guys, all of us corporately, right up to the present time. Not only so, 
But we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Guys, the scripture, it couldn't be any clearer. We are all groaning. We are all in a waiting period and it feels so long, doesn't it? We are longing for the restoration of sons and daughters. We're longing for that. We're longing for that re, reu, you know, reunion with the father. How many of you guys love to watch on YouTube those military dad reunions, right? Like, ah, oh, ah. Oh. Or like that scene in Chariots of Fire where he's just run his race and he goes up to the king and the king like, like well done, well done. Like that just every time I'm undone because it just hits, doesn't it? It's like, yes, this is, I, I, of all the, th- I don't care, like jobs and things and seasons and the things we could live for on this earth. We can't get away from the fact that in us is a groaning for things to be made right with our, with our daddy, Right. That's right. So that's what we're all longing for. We're groaning for that. And then there's the waiting that's a little bit closer to home. Then there's the personal promises. Then there are the things where we see in scripture and we don't take them as for someone else, but we read these promises and we're like, God's whispered these things to my heart that these are actually for me too. That he said these things to us in a really personal way for the lifting of oppression, for the returning home of prodigal sons and daughters for the ability to overcome and live in freedom and victorious living over habits and cycles and things where we feel like we get a glimmer of like, oh, maybe we're on our way out and then we're pulled right back in, right? How many of us are just waiting to turn the corner of a season? Like, God, I thought there was going to be fruit of obedience and pruning, right? I'm, I'm, I'm no farmer, but there's four seasons in the year and, and one of them bears fruit, right? Like, come on. We're all waiting for that. So how do we endure until the end like Simeon? How do we stay faithful when there is no reason to stay faithful? How do we show up expectant again in our lives, guys? How do we not take matters into our own hands, in our own minds, really, where we start doing our own reasoning, our calculations? How do we not cut corners on obedience how do we, does it, does it really matter? God, does it really matter? I mean, how do we write the tithe check again? Things are getting tighter and tighter and facts are facts and numbers are numbers, God. Like really, do you really expect that of me? Right? How do we, how do we pray for deliverance when there's just fear all over your body? And like, that's just like so much more obvious. How do we pray again when it's like, I don't think my prayers really matter. How do we not live in like judgment and perceptions? For me, guys, I, I keep asking myself, how do I keep the desires that, that are God's desires? How do I push out my own desires? Because I have a lot of them. How? How do I do it? How do we stay in love in the midst of life that's so mundane? It's such a daily grind. The Holy Spirit is on us, just like he was on Simeon, to enable us to trust to wait open-handedly, to come back again, to show up again and again. He's, he's on us to help us let go of that control that we just really, we want to be in control of the time frame. Like how many of us, we tell the Lord, you have this long and that's it. If you're not, if it hasn't been happened by this time, well then you're out and I'm in, right? Like how the Holy Spirit is on us 
to stay faithful to God's word and not faithful to our own perceptions and our own vision and our own sight to show up again and again in the unanswered. He's honest to be able to stay faithful in the midst of our discouragement, disillusionment, disappointment. And if you're wondering, do I really need the Holy Spirit to endure? Do I really need his spirit? Listen, the Bible is full of warnings. It is full of warnings about fading away from faithfulness. I do this read through the Bible. And even just this week, I'm reading, I read read through the Bible. And here's what it says in 2 Peter 3, 3. You must understand that scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming? He promised. Like, have you met a scoffer? You know, is your biggest scoffer an internal scoffer? Like I've met scoffers. Like I get it out there. It just like in the days of Noah, there's a lot of scoffing. It doesn't look like anything. We're getting any closer to any fulfillment of God's promises. I have my own scoffers inside going like, I don't know. Does it really matter? Does it really matter? But Jesus gave us clear. Not only do the disciples talked a lot about staying faithful to the end. Jesus gave us a clear, clear warning. He, he spoke about it over and over again about staying faithful. Here's one example. Luke 12, Luke 12, 35. And this is what it says. Be dressed and ready for service and keep your lamps burning. Like men waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready. Even if, my italics, even if he comes in the second or third watch of the night, even if, be ready. Keep your lamps burning. Keep your lamps burning. How are we ready? How do we keep our lamps burning? Well, here's the deal, guys. Jesus provided the oil for our lamps. It's the Holy Spirit, right? He provided the oil. He's like, this is what you're going to need. You're going to have a lamp. It's going to need oil. Here's what, take the oil that I'm giving you, right? You remember the parable that Jesus, Jesus talks in Matthew 25, a parable about 10 virgins. And it's this really, really great, another really great warning to us. And he says, listen, here's the deal. There's a story. And it's like these 10 virgins and this is us. And he's all the virgins. They were all going to the same destination, They all set out in the same invitation. They were all same purpose. They were all setting out on this trip. But there's two clear groups in this story. We have a group of, of wise virgins who did what? They took oil for their lamps. And then we have the group of foolish virgins, and they didn't take any extra oil for the journey. And they all went out to meet Jesus. But this is what it says. The bridegroom was a long time in coming. There's a theme here. There is a theme. Ah! And when it was finally time, when it was finally time, those who brought the oil, the wise virgins, they were able to go meet the bridegroom. And the ones who didn't bring the oil for their trip, guess what? It was gone. It was out. And they had to go back and get it. And that going back was, it meant everything. It meant everything. Those who brought the oil, they could light their lamps. They were ready. They had oil for their lamps. And they went out to meet the bridegroom. And this is what it says. The ones who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet. And the door was shut. And the door was shut. Just to connect the dots, we know that what, what God's talking about, this oil, it's his Holy Spirit. That over and over again in the Old Testament, the oil was poured out on people. It was anointing of his Holy Spirit. So here's what Jesus meant for us with this story. That we have been clearly warned. We've been clearly warned that there will be some people who will not be prepared for the delay. 
that they're experiencing, right? There are going to be some people who run out without taking what was vital for the journey. They just didn't think they would need it. They, maybe they put their, their prep, their focus somewhere else. Maybe they just didn't think, you know, maybe they thought a substitute would do, or they, again, like in my own mind, I think I can do it like this, or it's going to happen like that. And that problem was, guys, is no other substitute filling will do for what is ahead. No other substitute filling. Please don't get confident. Please don't get distracted. Please don't get full of self-effort or think we can do it a different way in this day. There's only one way to endure, guys. There's only one way to make it to the end, like Simeon, catch the oil of the Holy Spirit that God is pouring out. Catch the oil. You will need the oil of the Spirit to make it to the end. I, I just think it cannot be any clearer. And so what I want us to do is to hold up the lamp of our life over and over and over again to catch what God is pouring out, the oil of his spirit. A.W. Tozer is one of my favorite pastor authors. He wrote this. Listen to this. God never dreamed of his people apart from the Holy Spirit and accordingly made promises to them. The result is that we go on year after year and learn to live with death. We learn to live with a spiritual corpse. We learn to live with our breath frosty and our cheeks pale, our toes frostbitten without spirituality. Yet we learn to live with that. We imagine that it is normal. We write books to prove that it is normal. It is not normal at all. It is subnormal, abnormal, below normal. The Holy Ghost is not on us, and that is our trouble. That's our trouble. We don't take up the oil God is pouring out. The Holy Spirit is not a sideshow. This life is a wrestle through the night. That's what it is. It is a wrestle through the night. So we have to take up the spirit that God is giving. If we're going to make it until the end. And so just to be clear, this is what I'm suggesting that we do. And we're going to have some ministry time in a minute. And we're going to do some of this together. But I'm asking that we intentionally in this Advent season catch the oil that God is pouring out that like virgins with their lamps or the, the widow who set out the jars for oil, that we need to, first of all, see the need for it in our own life. That we have to recognize, I actually need your spirit to make it. I actually don't just need your spirit on an occasion where I have to do something great, you know, stand up on the stage or for the people who are singing or for when it's time to pray for the sick, right? That we set out space for his spirit in our lives. A couple of Christmases ago, um, I bought this frankincense essential oil. I just bought a little tube of it. It was really, really expensive, um, but I love the smell of it. And so I got this tube. It was like this big. And what I decided to do is I was going to do gifts, a few gifts. And I got really small little glass um, tubes that had like a rollerball top, you know. And my idea was to pour this one bigger thing of frankincense into these smaller little tubes and to give those away as gifts. And so what I had to do was I took this bigger, more expensive little jar and I got the little ones open and I stayed really steady and I was so careful about transferring the oil because I'm like, every little drop is like, you know, calculating in my head, how much, how much? But here's what I didn't do. I didn't pour the oil while I was out on a run or while I was watching TV or while I was wrapping gifts or multitasking, I actually cleared time and space. And I was really, I was like, this is really expensive. This is really good stuff. I'm going to get it all into the jars. And so that's what I'm asking for us to do, guys, is that we stay steady, that we go, this is a precious oil, that this is a valuable oil, 
that I value it. So that's the first thing this Advent. I want you to value the oil of the Holy Spirit. I can't keep myself in love. I can't keep myself in hope. I can't keep myself in joy. I can't make it on my own. That God, I see what you provided in the waiting and I value your spirit to endure. I value your spirit now for what's ahead tomorrow. I value your spirit. I want to show up day after day with no loss of faith, no loss of vision. I know my strength. I'm only going to fall so many times and get myself up on my own strength. I know that, right? And so I value your oil. I value it. I value it. Nothing else will do. That's the first thing. And then the second thing is I want you to catch the spirit that God is pouring out. And that's that bit about staying steady, staying still, finding that open space, opening up our hands and our hearts and going, you know what, God, in the midst of all the unknowns, in the midst of my own desires, I'm opening it all up before you. And I'm going to stay still and steady so I can catch that transfer that you're pouring out, like my little jars, right? I can catch what you're giving. I can catch it. And so what I'm hoping we could do is um, Sarah might come up behind us here, and I'm hoping we can just take some time to get steady, to catch the oil that God's pouring out. And so um, if we don't mind, um, that's kind of what we're going to do in some ministry time here is why don't we stand up? And I'd like us to get in a posture of receiving what God wants to give for the specific purposes that he, that he wants to give it for us. And I just really believe that, that um, God's going to do some transfer this morning. That he's going to come and give you what you need for what's ahead. Maybe it's today. Maybe it's real close. Maybe it's down the road. But I feel like the best thing for when I do this is I close my eyes so I can kind of just block out other distractions because I get really easily distracted. And then I get in, you don't have to do this. Again, it's not magical, but I get in a position of just posture, of just like opening my hands. Because for me, that kind of helps connect my heart with like, okay, I just want to be open-handed before you so I can get what you want to give me. And then while we're in this place, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray. I'm going to be listening to the Holy Spirit. I'm going to wait a little bit and give him some space to talk to you. But God, we're here. And one of our favorite prayers is just come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. And right now in this room, we just, we value the oil of your spirit that you made promises to us in the design was that it would happen through the power of your Holy Spirit to endure. And so right now, God, we value your presence among us as your Holy Spirit that nothing else will do. Not our own ability to work out time frames, not our own smarts, not our own programs and strategies. And so with open hands, God, we just kind of, we just put those down so we can catch what you're pouring out. And so God, right now with our open hands, we just quiet our striving. We quiet our performance. We quiet our demands. 
for those of you who are, this is really like um, front and center to you that you're just wondering how much longer can I make it without the morning till the morning here, how much longer? And for the rest of us where we have places where we're just still waiting for, we have unfinished business, we're waiting for God to fulfill. I just feel like in this open place that we've provided that the Holy Spirit wants to help you imagine the good plans that God has. Where he's just drawing trust out. We can imagine that God is creating ahead of us. We can imagine God's faithful answers. in that space I just feel like the Holy Spirit's just stirring up trust fresh trust in the same way some of you um, this time of year is really hard because it marks another year that's come and gone and that's really it's just I just want to let the Holy Spirit minister you. For some of you, it's like this just marks another time frame and that just feels really disappointing. And the Holy Spirit wants to fill you right now, just a fresh filling of His Spirit for the enduring. Yeah, He's just coming in that space right now. He's just coming in that space, just so kind. He's so comforting. Some of you aren't feeling much of anything, but I feel like God still wants to replenish because he knows what's coming ahead. So in humility, will you just receive what he wants to give because he knows what's ahead and he knows what's going to be required of you down the road. So would you just take that excess this morning? Would you just take it into your spirit? on us Holy Spirit like you were on Simeon come on us show up again and again